into the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek for Monday, April 19th. I am your host, Caroline Gonzalez, joined by my co-host, John DeShazer. And on today's episode, we are 10 days out from the NFL draft. And so we, are, of course, are going to begin our draft previews. We will start today with the Atlanta Falcons. We will get into the Panthers and Buccaneers on Wednesdays and Friday's episode before getting into the Saints draft next week. Uh, but, of course, starting out with the Atlanta Falcons today, our rival joining us today is ESPN's Michael Rothstein, ESPN reporter covering the Falcons. Michael, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Really glad to be here. Of course. So first things first, you told us before you started recording, you're coming to the Falcons beat from the Detroit Lions. Uh, You've been here for a few weeks now, so you've already gotten a little bit of the taste of the social media drama that exists between the Saints and the Falcons after that uh, King of Queens reference on Twitter. What are your thoughts on that so far? I mean, listen, it's no different than... The Lions. So I came from covering the Lions. I covered the Lions for eight seasons for ESPN. Uh, I'm actually still in Michigan at the moment. I don't move to Georgia until next month. But it's no different than the Lions and the Packers. uh, You know, I mean, I can remember times when there was like a social media war that I was actually in Washington, D.C. on a mini vacation. And the Lions and Packers social media teams had gone back and forth with each other. And it was just... I mean, the Packers, because they are the, had been the better franchise, clearly won that argument. And, right. But it became a thing, and it like got read by I don't even know how many people. That's what happens when teams go back and forth, when, teams, when there is that shared history with teams, like there is with the Falcons and the Saints, like there is with the Lions and the Packers, like there is with, you know, anyone in the NFC East. Really, you know, if you've been around long enough, that happens. I think it's more, you know, sure, the Panthers in the NFC North, and maybe this is me speaking as kind of a newbie in the uh, in the division. But like to me, the Panthers have been around for a while, but they haven't been around as long as the Saints or as long as the Falcons. So it still takes time. And, you know, I'm enjoying starting to learn and see those rivalries because I've known rivalries in the North for so long that I'm kind of curious to see some of the Southern rivalries, you know, besides the obvious of Alabama and Florida and Alabama and LSU and Florida and LSU, the professional ones. I'm kind of curious. Michael, Michael, the beauty of it is the social media teams get to write checks that they never have to cash. All they got to do is write the checks and wait for the team to cash and if the team doesn't cash, they just write more checks. <laughs> Great situation for the social media team. Sure, you know, the players don't mind so much as long as they're cashing those checks. Right. Don't cash those checks, and then it comes cascading down on them, then the social media team never has to answer for it. They just get to write more checks, so they've got an unlimited supply of pettiness that they can just pedal out at any moment in time. So that's the beauty of that whole thing. I mean, isn't that really, if we're going to talk about social media as, and y'all are quick learning generally whenever I do a podcast, it goes off the rails so fast that, <laughs> I mean, isn't that really the truth with, with social media though, especially with Twitter is that like people will write checks that are never cashable ever <laughs> over and over. It doesn't matter whether you're a team social media account or, uh, you know, or anybody really very rarely does it happen. So you know, I don't know. I It's just kind of what social media is. It's yeah. that momentary blip in time. And then, you know, a day later, an hour later, a week later, no one's going to remember it. Yeah, so true. 
All right, well, uh, let's get back on track here, Michael, after covering uh, social media for a little bit, get things back on the rails. So Terry Fontenot came from the New Orleans Saints, joined the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, the Falcons let go of Dan Quinn in October of 2020. So it seems like this is a very pivotal offseason for the Atlanta Falcons. They have nine total draft picks. Obviously, uh, the highlighted, highlighted one is that number four pick uh, to start things off. What do you think? That, are they going based off position? Are you going based on need what are your thoughts on that number four pick for the Falcons I think they've done a very good job of masking what they want to do so I'm going to give a very good cop-out answer and again like I said before only a few weeks on the beat so my sources aren't quite as as good as they would be a year from now that I think that there are a multitude of ways that they can go and it would not shock me if they went in almost any direction there are to me four ways that they can do this they can draft a quarterback and we know that two of the Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Justin Fields will be around. What that means is that Matt Ryan might be playing his last year in Atlanta in 2021, but they did just restructure him. So it might be a little bit more of a question of do they, if they see him as the quarterback, maybe in 2022 as well, then I don't know if you take a quarterback because then that quarterback sitting for two years and then you still don't know if it's, if he's the guy and if you're planning on building around that, that's a long time to sit when one of the prevailing feelings, feel, uh, feelings of how to build a team is to build off of a quarterback on a rookie contract. And if you're going to waste two years of that, why draft a quarterback? Right. So that's the quarterback part of it. Then there's Kyle Pitts, who's maybe the second best prospect in the draft, may absolutely the best pass catcher in the draft, this kind of hybrid receiver tight end player that I don't think is of a position of massive need for Atlanta because you still do have Julio Jones, even though Julio Jones is getting older. You do still have Calvin Ridley, and it would be a pretty big surprise, I think, if Calvin Ridley were not a Falcon for a long time at this point. You still have Russell Gage. You still have Hayden Hurst under contract, and you can pick up his fifth-year option too. So I don't know if there's a massive need for Kyle Pitts, but Kyle Pitts, to me, could be a generational-type player. I covered Calvin Johnson up in Detroit. I'm not making the comparison to Calvin Johnson at all, but if you look at the measurables, other than like Calvin Johnson running a tenth of a second faster, like they measure up pretty, pretty close uh, except that, you know, Pitts is a tight end. Calvin was a wide receiver, and that was the difference. So if you think Kyle Pitts could be four-fifths that good, you know, because Calvin Johnson obviously first ballot Hall of Famer, then maybe you take Kyle Pitts. The third option would be Penny Sewell. I, I think I just butchered his name, the offensive lineman from Oregon. And No, but but that to me is maybe the safest pick that you could take. And the Falcons do need to protect Matt Ryan. That has been an issue. And you take a guy like like Sewell, and if you basically – if he's as good as people think, you have your left tackle for the next decade. And as we all know, that's one of the most important positions on the team. Maybe second on the offense after the quarterback is that left tackle. And if you can solidify that, that might elongate Matt Ryan's career. So those are the players. Then there's the other option, which is trading back. And a GM, multiple GMs have always said that, told me this. Every team wants to trade back because you get more draft capital, but you need to have a partner for it. 
Do I think the Falcons can probably find a partner here? Yeah, I do, because I think there'll be two quarterbacks that will be very enticing. And I think there could even be a team that maybe wants to trade up for a receiver or for Pitts or for Sewell, because since if Sewell's still sitting there at five, a lot of people, it would seem to think that Cincinnati is going to take Sewell. So I think that there are so many options there that if they can find the right package to not necessarily drop down too far, or if you drop down to, say, New England or Washington in the middle of the round, that you're getting a lot of picks back to help rebuild that defense and help build the offense because you need a lot of cheap players right now if you are the Falcons because, as Saints fans can understand, salary cap is not your friend at the moment, that – I think that that, to me, would be the move, but we don't know what those offers are going to be. And frankly, I don't know if they're going to have a finality on offers because San Francisco, we don't know exactly what they're going to do. There are rumors about Mac Jones. They're going to be at Trey Lance's pro day. Maybe depending on who they take, that might alter the types of offers the Falcons can get. So it's a whole jumbled kind of mess. And... You know, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I know when I have to make my official mock draft pick, I will feel not confident at all that I am making the correct selection. Where I, when I was covering the Lions, I was usually pretty right when Bob Quinn was the general manager. I'm going out right now and saying this, and I'll say it on any podcast or radio show I do. I am not sure of what they're going to do because Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot have done a very good job of keeping things quiet. That means Terry's learned pretty well. I'm sure Mickey yeah. would be happy to hear that Terry is a, a master of deception right now. <laughs> Michael, uh, in terms of the entirety of the draft, which unit does it seem that the Falcons need the most assistance with, offense or defense? Oh, it's defense, and it's without question, because you still have your quarterback. You still have a Hall of Fame wide receiver in Julio Jones. You still have a guy who is – a number one or would be a number one on a lot of other teams in Calvin Ridley. Hayden Hurst is a good tight end. I think their offensive line is okay. I mean, they didn't have a good year last year, but there are pieces there and there are good players there. And Mike Davis has shown that he can be a capable running back and also running back is a position you can get in the draft. So offensively, I think that they are in at least the top end really good shape. I think depth, once you get to the offensive line quarterback, there's only one on the roster at the moment running back, you know, maybe a little bit questionable there. So I think, I think that there's depth problems on offense, but to me, it's defense all day without question. They need help at corner. They need long-term help with safety. They signed two guys in free agency who will likely be starters and Eric Harris and Deron Harmon. Both of them are very good veterans, but both of them are 30 years or older. And that's not the way to build long-term success defensively. And then they still need some pass rush. Obviously they're hoping Dante Fowler maybe gets a rebound year from how he played last year. Maybe looks more like he did when he was with the Rams. Grady Jarrett is Grady Jarrett. We all know that, but Beyond that, there's just a lot of questions, I think, on almost every level of the defense. Linebacker, again, your top-end guys are good, but you have very little depth there as well. So I think it's defense all the way. The one place, frankly, that they are in really good shape is on special teams because right now they have two kickers, two punters, and a long snapper on the roster, and they might have more specialists on a roster than any team in the NFL at the moment. (laughs) Well, Michael, now, I know you said, you know, Terry has done a really good job of not saying what's going to be done, but he comes from, I guess, the background here of you take the best player available, whoever is 
a top guy in your cluster of players, uh, that's who you take regardless of position. So does that kind of lend itself toward Kyle Pitts in that first round? Because you said, you know, he looks like, you know, maybe a generational type talent. Potentially, but I think we've all seen it around the league that if you're the general manager who passes on the quarterback for a Hall of Famer for a guy who doesn't do all that well, especially if that guy is not a quarterback and, oh, yeah, you know you're going to need a quarterback, sometimes the strict (laughs) BPA rule will come back to bite you. And I think in this situation, I think you also have to think if you are the Falcons, you are hoping that you are not at four ever again unless it's a trade situation so do you look at that and say well this might be the time to get the franchise quarterback of the future but again I think so much of that goes into how much they really think Matt Ryan has left how much they really view Matt Ryan as a guy who can be there to finish out his contract and listen I I, we talked about a little bit at the top of the podcast I came from covering Detroit where I just watched the Lions-Matthew Stafford divorce unfold over really two years, more or less, but definitely over that last season. And that's generally how things go. Not everything gets to be like Drew Brees, where you know you can walk away on your own terms with the team you want to walk away from. Like that, that just doesn't happen all that often anymore in the NFL. Look at Tom Brady. Look at Peyton Manning. Right. So to me, that's where I think the question comes with Matt Ryan is how much longer does Matt Ryan want to play and how much of a believer are Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot in Matt Ryan's talents, not only this year, but next year and the year after that. And that could really base that decision of pure best player available versus taking the quarterback. I think uh, all of us have kind of taken Drew Brees for for granted in that aspect of that we got to watch him retire and we knew we could expect greatness out of him pretty much every season. Um, But Michael, I know you don't have exactly the heartbeat of the team just yet and you're going to get your hands dirty here this season, but does it feel like the Falcons can make a pretty good dent in this draft on their needs and, um, you know, tackling what they need to in order to compete in this really competitive NFC South? I mean, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the rise, winning the Super Bowl last year, the Saints, you know, competing. Panthers will figure that out, you know, when they do that, their draft show. Uh, But in a competitive NFC South, do you think they, they can make a dent in this draft? I think so. I think they can use the draft again. I think you focus heavily on defense, maybe not at four if you stay at four, because there's just not an elite defensive player that you take it for, in my opinion. Maybe there's people out there that disagree with me. Maybe Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith disagree with me. I just don't see it at four. I think that that's a stretch. Now, if you trade down to, say, nine, or you trade down to 15 or to 17 or to 19, then I think you can take a defensive player. They need to rebuild this defense. That's without question. Offensively, I think that they have the talent on their roster right now, maybe add a piece here or there to be very competitive. It's defensively where I think that they need the help. And I think that they can get that in the middle rounds of the draft. And again, if they trade down, then I think they can maybe get two or three guys that you might be able to plug in as day one starters or high level day one contributors. If it's say like a slot cornerback or a situational pass rusher that that can be very beneficial to helping them get back to where they were defensively. Remember this is a Falcons team that, yeah, their record wasn't good last year, but think of how many games they lost in the fourth quarter, which, you know, as Falcons 
fans know and people who've watched the Falcons know is kind of a theme for a while that like that, if you can get rid of that and kind of have that flip, this team wasn't very far away. It's not like this team is getting blown out week after week after week. And it's not like this team is starting with a bunch of guys who are younger players who need to learn and grow together. This is a team that frankly has a lot of veterans on it still that I think they're trying to hope more for one more run. So I think that they can be competitive. I think they can get that out of the draft. And then after that, you look at your holes that are left, whether backup quarterback could be one, some spots on the defense, and there are going to be good players on that secondary free agent market that you can get for a, you know, kind of maybe a bargain price and fill it in that way. And we've seen that all over the NFL for years that starters come out of that, those May, June, even training camp signings every year. And I think that the Falcons are going to need, no matter what happens in the draft to find two or three of those players as well in order to really be competitive this year because like you like you said Caroline the the division is quite good Tampa Bay decided they wanted to re-sign everybody to make more one run at it now we'll see how advisable that is you know that's in the NFL that doesn't always really work uh unless you're the cow you know unless you're like again dating myself a little bit here unless you're like the Cowboys and the Bills of like the early 90s like that, we, we haven't seen that work all that often in that type of way, especially when so many of those guys are kind of veterans, maybe starting to hit the ends of their prime versus like the beginning of their prime. Uh, so I'm curious to see how that goes. And then obviously New Orleans, I think, is a big question, too, because of the quarterback situation and not really knowing exactly what that's going to look like there and that I think the division is really talented, but I think that there are areas that every team can exploit. And I think there are question marks with every team, including Tampa Bay, just because of history showing that what they're doing is could possibly work out really well, or maybe, maybe not. And it seems like they're really pushing in for one more year. And then who knows what will happen beyond that. There was a time for like two weeks when every time I would get a notification on my phone from Bleacher Report telling me that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did something, I got annoyed just instantly. As soon as I saw Tampa Bay, I was like, uh, why? Why are you doing all of this? <laughs> it's an, honestly, it's an interesting strategy. And I think that I've talked about this on a couple of other shows back uh, when I was still covering Detroit, that the way that they built their team, now, I don't think they did this purposely because they drafted Jameis Winston. And they had hoped that Jameis Winston was going to be the guy. But what they ended up doing, which I thought was kind of brilliant, was they built every other piece of that team except for quarterback. And, I mean, you can argue tight end, but I think O.J. Howard's a good tight end. They can't embrace. So they didn't really need Rob Gronkowski. But they built that team so that all you needed was the quarterback, and then you went out and you got the veteran quarterback. To me, that's a different way to build a team, and that's a way that I think a lot of teams should maybe look at building their roster because I think we're going to see more and more these quarter, the veteran-type quarterbacks that are 34, 35. I think you're going to see them maybe have three years left, look for a team that might be a Super Bowl contender, and they be the last piece versus them being the first piece and you try to win on a rookie deal. Them yeah. being the last piece and you try to win with kind of everybody else that you've built and you create a smaller window but you create a window. And I think that that's what Tampa Bay did. And honestly, I would be curious to see going back to the Falcons, if they do not take a quarterback at four, if they start to do that, 
if they start to build really young right now around Matt Ryan, and then you kind of see what maybe it looks like in a year or two, and maybe Matt Ryan's still your guy, but if he's not, then if you've built everything else up, then maybe you can go put that veteran quarterback in. Indianapolis tried it as well last year with obviously not as much success as Tampa Bay had, but they still got to the playoffs largely off of their defense, but they tried to with Phillip Rivers. Denver won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning in the same way. And I mean, to me, New Orleans would be another team that maybe you try and do that down the road is build everything else and then put the quarterback in last. I think I'll be curious to see if there are teams that kind of try to copy that Tampa Bay model, because as we all know, as cliche as what I'm about to say is this is a copycat league. We've heard this over and over and over. And I'm curious if anyone tries to go and copy that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you can make the argument that the Saints kind of did that in 2017. They had the mother low draft and were able to get young and Drew Brees, you know, was probably, beginning to tail some and so they upgraded everything else so we'll see how that works I don't I know Tampa Bay is always an interesting philosophy I always say in the NBA you know you just run it back until somebody beats you uh, but when you run it back you become every team's game seven every game yeah. it's taxing on a team so we'll see how Tampa Bay handles it yeah well also I mean the you know the NFL has so many more injuries and there's yes. so and there you're you're if you're Tampa Bay you're an injury to Tom Brady away from, from having real problems or frankly, an injury to Shaq Barrett or an injury to Levante David away from potentially having real problems. Uh, and you could even extend that out to, you know, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans in the NBA injuries happen, but they don't happen like that. And there are 82 games. So if a guy misses five games, you're all, you're still going to be okay. Like, you know, if a guy misses, the, what would the equivalent of that to be? Like two, three games in the NFL, that might be the difference between a division title and a wild card or a wild card and not in the playoffs. Like that's the that's the kind of NFL like grinder, right? Is like if half the time the teams that end up getting where they are at the end of the season are because they just managed injuries the best. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, thanks for joining us on this joint episode of Falcons and Buccaneers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, did not mean to talk all of Bucks here. Uh, we can jump more into Falcons if you want. Uh, no, totally fine. We got into draft philosophies. <laughs> yeah, no, totally fine. We appreciate all your insight, Michael. Uh, again, Michael Rothstein joining us, ESPN reporter covering the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons haven't made the playoffs since 2017. Looking to correct that ship here uh, in 10 days with the NFL draft. Again, Michael, thanks so much for joining us we really appreciate your time oh no problem thanks for having me anytime well that was the falcons draft preview i know we got a little bit of the buccaneers in there as well but uh do not be confused that was the atlanta falcons draft preview with espn's michael rothstein we will have more episodes throughout the week so i believe on wednesday we will have a panthers draft preview and on friday we will have a buccaneers draft preview those might get flip-flopped but either way we will have draft previews for you throughout the week and then starting next week as we head into the nfl draft beginning on the 29th we will start our saints draft preview we will have a couple of pieces of content available for you on new saints.com and the saints app again we are 10 days away from the NFL draft. 
Saints fans get excited. Someone else is going to be wearing the black and gold and representing it well, no doubt. All right. Well, I am Caroline Gonzalez. John DeShazer was my co-host on today's show. And as I mentioned many times, Michael Rothstein from ESPN covering the Atlanta Falcons. Thanks so much for him to for joining the show today. We appreciate his time. And again, check in later this week. Follow us on social media. And of course, turn those notifications on on your Saints app to be notified of the episodes later in the week. All right, Saints fans, have a great Monday or whatever day it is that you are listening to this and have a great rest of the week. We will check back in on Wednesday. Thank you.